Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. guys welcome back we have got another episode of llp here dropping for you today and i hope everybody has had a wonderful week oh man it's been a very (laughs) very busy week and before we get started i just want to say thank you to everybody out there all of our listeners we're current eric get this we're currently being listened to in 86 countries around the world. I mean, you guys have been giving us great feedback. We're being listened to in over 86 countries. That's audio only. I'm sure on YouTube, it's probably even more. But I just want to say thanks, guys. Um, You guys have been absolutely amazing. And it just goes to show you that freedom lives all across the world. And I heard a quote one time from somebody sitting next to me that said, "There's, there's Americans all over the world. They just haven't made it home yet. Man, that hits home for sure, man. Yeah. You know, so we got a great podcast today, and uh, those of you who are tuning in here on YouTube, thank you for tuning back in. We do post these over on the Iraq Veteran 8888 YouTube channel as well, and it's worth noting that we are going to be covering some stuff today uh, that you can find some really useful videos on our channel related to a lot of this stuff that will help uh, kind of bring home some of the, the stuff we're going to be talking about. Absolutely. Before we get started with today's podcast, I'd like to thank our friends at My Patriot Supply for supporting LLP. In the coming years, things are going to be getting really crazy. Are you ready? Do you have a plan in case of food shortages, power outages, emergency evacuations? You should always prepare before these things strike. That's why we recommend getting your emergency food from My Patriot Supply. They're America's number one preparedness company with several million happy, well-prepared customers. Their food lasts up to 25 years in storage. It's like a survival insurance policy that you can eat. When you need it, it will be there. Right now, you'll save $100 on a three-months emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. Go to the link below or go to www.mypatriotsupply.com forward slash LLP. You'll receive a $100 discount off a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. Check them out. And tell them we sent you. Today's episode is going to be the Great Caliber Debate. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. And we're talking, you know, really about defensive calibers. I mean, it seems like everyone is sort of in their own little school of thought in terms of, oh, well, the cartridge I carry is better than yours. And, and there's always this pissing match, right, that occurs. Right. Oh, well, a 22 won't hurt anybody. Or, oh, if. Well, a nine millimeter might expand, but a forty five don't shrink, boy. You know, like that. That you know, you, you yep. know, two world wars. You know, that sort of thing. Absolutely. All these terms get thrown around, and you know, when it comes to different selections of not only the caliber you choose to protect yourself with, but then the firearms and the different platforms that those calibers are used in, um, there's a ton of variety out there, and it can really be confusing to a lot of folks, especially. You know, it's worth noting and and giving a quick shout out to all the new gun owners out there. Um, It can be confusing, right? When you're you're new to the gun industry, uh, imagine looking at all of the plethora of different options that are out there and not knowing, you know, well, what does this mean? What what does, you know, even knowing that there is a difference between, you know, 
different cartridges and, and different types of ammunition, different propellants and, you know, all of yep. the different minutia and, and all the, the random facts that go into what make up a cartridge and really what give you this sort of song and dance of ballistics, both interior and exterior ballistics and what bullets do when they hit things and how they react. And, uh, and not all cartridges are created equal. And we'll sort of go over a little bit of that. But people do tend to kind of have almost a... Uh, big brother aspect to their favorite cartridge, right? You know, they, they, their favorite cartridge can do no wrong and yours is not as good. And it's almost like they just take a little bit of a personal approach to kind of claiming a certain cartridge that they really like. I would 100% agree. And a lot of it comes from, you know, when people first get into firearms, they pick something that fits their hand and it feels comfortable in their hand. And they're not necessarily going off of, you know, what caliber bullet they're going to be shooting. But also, it's they shoot what their friends shoot. So if you have a bunch of friends that shoot nine millimeter, then it's going to be more advantageous for you to shoot nine millimeter because everybody's going to be shooting the same ammo. Um, also, it comes down to price point. I mean, if you start looking, if you start looking for ammo and you're shopping for ammo online, because most of us are informed consumers. We can go online, we can look up ammo prices, and when you look at a box of nine millimeter versus a box of like forty five, you're like, well. Well, gee golly, that nine mil is, you know, significantly less expensive and I can't even find 45. So that does play some like play something into it. But also people just don't shoot a lot of ammo. Like, honestly, there's some guns that'll shoot like a 45 that are actually smoother than like a, a nine millimeter plus P load, you know, and they're not giving that opportunity to go to the range and rent that gun and try it out for themselves. And, you know. Anytime I'm buying something, if I'm buying a car, you better believe I'm driving every single car on that lot. That's an investment. Like I'm, I'm going to buy it. I want to test. I want to make sure that that's the car for me. But for some reason, guns don't get the same, you know, they don't get that same mentality. They're like, oh, I just want that one. It looks yep. good. <laughs> you know, and it is worth noting that a lot of ranges will, you know, they do typically have a gun rental program. You can go in and rent, you know. You may not be able to rent every random gun that there is, but you can certainly, you know, get into the usual suspects oh, and yeah. some of the, you know, most common things you're going to encounter out there. So let's just say that your uh, your internal conflict is, all right, do I need to buy an M&P, a Smith & Wesson M&P or a Glock, mm -hmm. right? Maybe that is just a very simple internal conflict for you. You know, they're both striker fire. They're both polymer, plastic, fantastic. They both do their thing that, you know, but which one do you like more? You know, so going to a range and renting a gun is a great option um, for those of you that might want to be able to try something out before you buy it. And that can also come into the caliber debate, right? Mm -hmm. um, say that your friend told you, well, you need to go buy a 40 Smith & Wesson or you need to go buy a 10 millimeter. You know, it's not that our friends are trying to give us bad advice or give you bad advice, but that may not be the best thing for you. You might not like it, right? 40 can be a little snappy. 10 millimeter can certainly be snappy. Um, it may not be the best cartridge for every single person in every single situation, not to mention the, you know, the fiscal reality that comes into play that, you know, yes, certain cartridges do represent not only a higher price point to shoot them on a regular basis, um, but also availability, right? Right now, ammo availability has been really terrible. So, you know, you may not go into your local gun shop and find 357 SIG. Mm -hmm. You might not find 10 millimeter in a wide variety of different um, combat loads. It right? is getting better, though. It is getting it, better. It is getting better. But generally, what people choose for a defensive cartridge might come down to availability. It right. might come down to price. And for some, it may come down to practicality. 
Uh, Chad and I have done a couple of videos that we call a perfect pairs where we discuss uh, yeah. uh, like a PCC and a pistol that might share a, a, the same magazine. Right. So in that case, you know, you wouldn't have a carry gun in 45 ACP and then turn around and buy a nine millimeter PCC. If those were the only two pistols you had, well, then it might behoove you to choose a PCC and a pistol uh, that use the same magazine and shoot the same cartridge. Ideally. So those might be some considerations to kind yeah. of take into account. You don't want the Scorpion and carry a Glock. Because then you're kind of stuck with this scorpion that only takes scorpion mags, and then a Glock that you have a 32 rounder, but it won't fit into the scorpion unless right. you have the the lower that, that accepts Glock mags. Yeah, I mean, and and that may not even be a thing. I'm right. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I don't know if somebody makes a a, a Glock fed oh, lower for the scorpion. Somebody if they out don't, there they has need to. to. Yeah, somebody that's out a great there idea. make that. Okay, yeah, that's oh. a great idea for sure. <laughs> but if that's not a thing, it needs to be. Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes from. Um, you know, bias of the actual counter, the person at the sales counter. I mean, how many times have we heard it? You walk in there and you're like, oh, they, they size you up. Oh, you got your, uh, you're a woman or you're a small frame man or a large frame man. You need this. Like you shouldn't base your caliber decision off of the size. It's more about what's practical for you, um, what you're using it for, home defense. If the guy in there recommends a 500 magnum then you should probably just leave okay just yeah. turn around and walk out the door um it has its place but you know it's probably not your first choice so just to kind of help put this in perspective not only for well this portion would be primarily for folks that are really really new i know we've got a lot of new gun owners out there and we want to do everything we can to help educate those folks and get them the information they need to succeed in life and succeed in their uh, needs their self-defense mm -hmm. needs so why don't we talk a little bit about cartridge energy real briefly here and what we have here is just uh, a bit of it we've got some ballistics charts pulled up that give us some basic energy calculations. Now, this is super, super elementary. We're not going to go into a lot of detail here, but this is to put a number, if you will, mm -hmm. and associate it with each cartridge, all right? So when a cartridge develops a certain amount of foot-pounds of energy. You have uh, a calculation, essentially, that involves the weight of the projectile and how fast it's moving. Very simple, right? You know, the heavier the projectile and the faster moving it's going, the more energy you get. And just, right. The lighter the projectile, the faster it needs to be moving to generate the same energy that a heavier projectile would move, would generate moving slower. And if you're asking yourself, how do I know the weight? Look on the outside of the box. You'll see it, 115, 147. You know, if you're getting into rifle cartridges, like 180s, 185s on some ARs, like 55, 60. So it'll say it on the outside of the box, like what that weight is. Right. So that grain is it, what that refers to is the weight of the projectile. Correct. And not to nerd out, but so <laughs> there's, there's 7,000 grains in a pound. Okay. So when we say a, let's, let's just say a 62 grain AR-15 projectile, for instance. All right. Well, how many, <laughs> how many AR-15 projectiles would it take to get to a pound? Well, you simply take 7,000 and divide by 62. That's right. Right. So 7,000 grains in a pound. Grains are the unit of measurement that we use to determine uh, everything in reloading, right? When it comes to weighing your powder, your projectiles, mm -hmm. even your cases, it's all done in grains. And it's pretty precise because there's 7,000 grains in a pound. And typically, the higher the grain, the slower the round, the lighter the grain, the weight of the bullet, the faster the round. So. All right. So how do we correlate this data, right? So I'll just, what we'll do is we'll give you two extremes. We're going to start with 22 long rifle. All right. A cartridge that 
many would consider to not be a viable self-defense cartridge. However, hmm. however, all right, you look at the new Federal Punch round, okay? And there are companies that are releasing what they tout as being an actual good defensive 22 long rifle round that they they sort of, you know, tout as being for that application. So, the, that's one of the gripes. You hear mm-hmm. a lot of people say, well, 22 won't hurt anyone. It it's not deadly and all this stuff. But when you look at, you know, shooting data and you look at the people that are that are going to the hospital or the morgue, from gunshot wounds, <laughs> the morgue. a lot of folks get get injured and, and killed with twenty two yeah. long rifle. Well, why is that? Why would that be, right? Why would twenty two kill so many people? It's common. Very common. That's why. Yeah. And There's a lot of twenty twos out there. Absolutely. So the chance of someone grabbing just the first thing they happen to have a twenty two behind the door to defend themselves with, mm-hmm. You're going to have that common availability of 22 caliber firearms, so that's why there's so much more data to help yeah. correlate, like how it's how effective it is. Yeah, that and there's a lot of there's just that the, the <clears> price <throat> point you can get a 22 rifle for significantly less than you can buy a handgun. So that's why you have so many. I mean, when I was growing up, we had you know my uh, I, my family didn't own them. My friend's family would have. He's like you know, 10, 11 years old, and he had a breakdown 22, and we'd go to the creek and we'd shoot snakes with the 22. Mm-hmm. We're like 10 years old. And I mean, it was normal. Like, that was a normal thing. You're like, oh, let's go find snakes. And then the, I remember one time we were out there and the police were was coming down the <laughs> embankment and he, we looked back and he's coming down. He goes, hey, what are you kids doing? And we're like, oh, we're just shooting. And he's like, all right. He just turns, <laughs> he just turns around and walks back up the, the bank. And I mean, it was just, well, this is like, rural Georgia and South Carolina. So that might've been a thing, but yeah, yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, they're prevalent. They're everywhere. So let's break down the numbers between a 22 and something a little bit heavier medicine, just to give you a bit of a range, if you will. So we have a number to kind of place with what these cartridges are doing and that'll help sort of help you visualize and quantify what we're talking about a little bit. Okay. So a 40 grain CCI velocitor. Now this is a little bit on the hotter end for a 22 mm-hmm. long rifle, but this is a pretty good um, result here. Uh, one, that 40 grain bullet is moving 1,435 feet per second, generating 1,084 foot pounds. Oh no, I'm sorry. That's velocity. Uh, oh no, that would be a lot. That'd be a lot of foot pounds. I'm sorry. Like, uh, like that, that was the 100 yard velocity at the muzzle. It's going 1435 feet per second. Mm-hmm. And at the muzzle, it generates 183 foot pounds of energy. All right. Keep that. So if we will perhaps just say that 22 long rifle, 183 foot pounds, and that's kind of near the top end that's getting mm-hmm. on up there in terms of energy. Let's compare it to, um, 45 ACP. Okay. Oh, the old football. 45 ACP, 230 grain 45 ACP moving at a plus P speed of four, let's see, 950 feet per second generates 461 ah. uh, foot pounds of energy at the muzzle. All right. So when you start to kind of compare these numbers, well, 45 is a big old huge slug. It weighs, I mean, gosh, you're talking, that's what, five times the weight of a oh, 22. Yeah. Uh, but then you've also got a considerable amount of energy there. Now, is it to say that that 461 foot-pounds of energy at the muzzle out of the 45 is is so much more powerful because it's a bigger bullet? 
uh, or anything compared to the 22. I think when you look at the 22 and consider that that little 40 grain bullet at the muzzle has still got, uh, let me get back to it, 183 foot pounds of energy. Like, so is that to say that 45 is amazing because of the power is so much more than 22? Or that 22 is amazing because it even gets close anywhere, mm-hmm. even remotely close to the amount of power that a 45 ACP will develop. Let's compare uh, 22 to one of the most popular carry rounds in America right now is 9mm. Yep. All right. Probably de facto, you know, right. number one round. Let's look at 9mm. Okay. Now, 9mm is kind of Goldilocks zone, right? It doesn't weigh as much as the as the uh, forty five ACP. Mm-hmm. It's not as light as the twenty two, and the speeds, you know, are kind of similar to the twenty two. So let's let's kind of let's crunch these numbers. Uh, standard velocity one hundred twenty four grain nine millimeter, moving at one thousand one hundred twenty six um, feet per second. Per second, yep. Uh, you're getting three hundred and fifty one foot pounds of energy at the muzzle. I'll take that all day. Right. But when you think people tend to go, oh, a 22 is not deadly or you shouldn't carry a 22 for self-defense, but that's only about double the power of a 22. And I guarantee you, you can hit the target much more with a 22 in rapid succession than you can with that nine mil. I mean, yeah. I mean, just in comparison, when you have that full auto, like 22 AR, and you unleash like 50 rounds from that drum, <laughs> you can... You can put all 50 rounds into the head of a silhouette, like no problem. Like right. you just, you just draw, you can draw a smiley face with that thing. And I mean, it's like, that's ridiculous. It's like right. so accurate. So when you compare those numbers, you probably think, well, wow, um, you know, that's a pretty good case for 22, mm-hmm. but it's also a good case for 45 ACP. It's a, it's a great case for nine millimeter. We're making a good case here. Not necessarily where the buck stops, okay? Because then you've got penetrating capabilities, weight retention. Right. So the heavier projectiles tend to penetrate a little more straight line and have deeper penetration, whereby a 22 might have a little more limited penetration compared to like 9mm or 45 ACP. So that, and also if you're shooting barriers or auto glass or shooting through clothing and, and things like that, then that's where things start to get complicated. Oh yeah. So it's not just the fiscal or let's just say the, the, the ballistician in us, but ballistician, whatever we want to say, the scientist in us, if I can choose my words correctly, if we're just looking at this strictly from a standpoint of data and what these bullets are doing when they leave barrels and how fast they're moving and the energy they're developing, sure, you could look at that and go, well, well, 22 is not so bad, right? I mean, it, it's getting some decent energy, right? But then when you start shooting through auto glass yeah. and clothing and and barriers and things it, it real that's where things really start to get interesting especially with pistol rounds because they don't all do the same thing and act the same way in all of those situations 45 acp arguably does exceptionally well in auto glass compared to all the other things that we talked about so mm-hmm. far so some cartridges will do a little bit better in auto glass some will perform a little bit better in drywall and then that's where you also get into the type of situation where 
Um, you know, these modern propellants that we have access to now, you know, pa- uh, powder technology has gotten a lot better. So this isn't just your old, you know, 45 or 9 millimeter from World War One or World War II. I mean, we're, we're certainly getting into higher performance. We have better performing bullets now. The design of the projectile plays a huge, huge role in what these cartridges will do in a defensive situation, how they'll do in barriers. Um, and in in some cases, how they perform in in soft body armor, for instance, right. you know? So the projectile design starts to come into play, and we can kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and before <laughs> we go any further on the, uh, I mean, we're about to you know move on from twenty two. So if you guys haven't already, go check out our friend twenty two Plinkster. He actually has a video on that twenty two punch, and he compares all the different 22, like LR, Magnum, all of that for viability and and concealed carry. He does a pretty, pretty good, you know, roundup of what that round can do. Um, And it actually performed quite well. I mean, I think there is a stigma around carrying 22 as a, you know, EDC. Um, You know, I'm not sold on it. Will it work? Absolutely. I'm the metallurgy is there. They've come a long way propellants, um, you know, bullet shape, diameter, you know, you can kind of cheat the numbers. It's still a 22, but it's like a large 22. Like you can, I mean, there's still some wiggle room there. Um, But just, you know, if you're going to do it, make sure you, you choose a 22. That's not a a remanufactured, you know, 22, make sure it's something that as a quality, like a punch or something like a, something specifically made for self-defense. Yeah. I mean, and and I think it, before we go too much further on, on this caliber debate, we probably want to also mention too, that look, shot placement's critical, right? It Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what cartridge you carry. You should always make sure that you are, you know, applying proper shot placement and and really good marksmanship and what you're trying to deal with. I mean, you wouldn't go hunting, right, for white-tailed deer and carry a, I don't know, a, a four-bore African big-game hunting rifle and then squeeze off a shot and shoot the deer in the leg, right? Or, or you know, not make a lethal shot. Like, you want to make a humane shot on an animal when you're hunting, right? Now, I'm, not, I'm certainly not comparing you know, defensive situations and uh, potentially shooting another human being to hunting. But that same principle still comes into play, right? I mean, the term organism, you know, we are comprised of organs. We are a we are a, a sack of meat that is driven by organs and driven by all of these parts. And if you don't mm-hmm. poke holes in the in the critical parts, the 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 sack of meat will not stop. Being held together by a waterproof barrier. That's right. And it, it doesn't matter if, if you're talking shooting white tailed deer or bear or or potentially two legged game, uh, shot placement will always be the end all do all to any situation. So if you do choose uh, to use a twenty two for self defense, I mean obviously make sure that you uh, apply the judicious marksmanship uh, and know where to shoot. Like in the face. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So people get into a people get spun up a lot on this whole thing. They get spun up a lot, a lot about well, a twenty two won't hurt anyone. I think we've determined that twenty two certainly has come a long way since it was first developed. And with companies like Federal and their punch, you know, they're doing a great job of trying to sort of bring that twenty two to the defensive yeah. realm a little bit more. And not to say that companies haven't done it before, because, I mean, CCI has had their Stinger round out for a long time. And the Stinger round, let's just compare that data real quick when the, I'm talking about. The Stanger. The Stanger. Uh, the Stinger is 32 grains, 
And they are moving at the muzzle at a whopping 1,640 feet per second. That's fast. Right. And that is yielding 191 foot-pounds of energy at the muzzle. That'll leave a sting. That's, that's for a 22, that's some pretty stiff medicine. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's you don't want to play around with that. Um, so 9 millimeter has come a long way. And I know that a lot of folks, you know, especially if you've either been in law enforcement over the years or you know a lot of folks that are law enforcement, or if you're just a person that's done a lot of research on shootings and stuff and have really dove into a lot of the data on law enforcement shootings, um, you know... 40 caliber and 9 millimeter are a couple of calibers that really get pitted against each other a heck of a lot. And what do you see right mm-hmm. now, right? Lots of law enforcement agencies are switching back to 9 millimeter. Right. But there was a long time there, and there still are many, many, many law enforcement officers out on the street now. They're carrying 40 Smith & Wesson. But there was a time when 40 was kind of the standard and lots of police. I mean, we're talking a huge amount of data was was trickling in from all of these uh, officer involved shootings that were occurring. And it was really painting a really strange picture about 40 Cal because um, 40 Cal was performing quite well in shootings. Right. When we're talking defensive shootings mm-hmm. uh, now, we're not going to get into the minutia of. You know, we're just going to say offer officer involved shooting. We're not going to say whether or not that was a justified. justified uh, yeah, not. We're, yeah, we're not getting into the justification of it. We're just all we're looking at here is the data and what happened. Right? Did the person die? Did they succumb to their injuries? Did they recover? Um, did the person? Uh, did the officer involved in the shooting survive the gunfight? The data. That's all we really care about here is just the the facts, right? And for a long time, 40 Cal got a really good reputation and still has a reputation as probably one of the best one-shot stops on the street. An an unarmored uh, assailants or whatever it is, because I think that 40 Cal was a really good round before body armor became a regular thing. And when you start getting up into these heavier bullet weights, it really slows that projectile down. It's a heavier mass. It cannot move as fast coming out of the same barrel and the same chambering. So as body armor became more prevalent, you're starting to see these weapons not perform as well because they're not really taking shot placement. They're like, oh, just shoot center mass. Well, what's center mass? level 3a body armor so i mean you're taking it to the chest guys you know rolling around he's not he's getting up he's returning fire but when you start getting down into the nine mil you're able to do a little bit better shot placement you have better follow-up shots i mean it's not as uh you know it's not a wrist breaker for some people that's right so um i think that played into it and that's why you're starting to see um people go back down to the nine mil from that 40 is because body armor is a, a, a thing now like it's very easy to get, and it should be. But at the same time, like it, it wasn't an issue back in like the '80s and the '90s. I think that there's a there's a couple of of very distinctive reasons why law enforcement agencies have decided to go back to nine millimeter uh, mm-hmm. from the forty cal. One training cost. Nine millimeter mm-hmm. is considerably cheaper for departments to buy, so they can buy larger quantities of it. They can save money. Uh, it basically, it quite frankly, it just costs. Less money to buy nine millimeter than it does for uh, forty Smith and Wesson. I think the other reason is because of the myriad of different projectile choices for nine millimeter. There's a ton of different weights, a ton of different projectile designs, tons of different carry ammo. So there's a lot of options there for these departments to do. And and we're not talking strictly just law enforcement. This is a civilian world too. This is you. Everyone has access to great ammo 
for nine millimeter, right? Whether you're civilian law enforcement is irrelevant, but we're talking about law enforcement in terms of the 40 caliber part of this, because that's where a lot of that data comes from is from the law enforcement, the right. officer involved shooting. So, and, and so I'm mentioning the departments just to maybe help you understand why they go this route, right? Well, you can also carry a lot more ammo for the same weight, right? So if weight is is a consideration, you know, a duty belt begins to get pretty heavy, oh, yeah. uh, a competitor's belt starts to get pretty heavy. So you can just you can carry more ammunition and carrying a nine millimeter. Also, uh, magazine capacity is generally a little uh, more generous. Yep. In a nine mil compared to a forty across the board uh, overall. Okay, so you get a few more shots, which is always good. And then to segue to your points, absolutely. Fast follow-up shots, uh, more accurate. Uh, 40 cal is accurate. Oh, yeah. I love it. But, yes, when you get certain groups of folks, maybe someone smaller statured, maybe they don't mm-hmm. have the same amount of hand strength. Recoil sensitive. Maybe they're recoil sensitive. Maybe they just don't shoot enough to be really proficient with a 40 because it does require a little bit more skill and time to really get behind one really well if you're not a gun person. It's a heavier gun. It's a heavier know? gun. So, you know, that... The nine millimeter does help bring home a lot of those different aspects and make it a little bit easier for the average person to get behind a gun and get really proficient with it, and in a in a much quicker amount of time. To segue back to the twenty two, use your twenty twos generally to train. That's right. And to get more trigger time, you can work on those fundamentals. Then you step up and run you a couple of boxes of nine mil. And get yourself kind of in that mm-hmm. in that mindset of you know feeling that little bit of extra recoil. Um, I believe strongly in having a pistol chambered in twenty two for training purposes because you just shoot more. It encourages yep. you to shoot more, and you save money. And it's pleasant, like one hundred percent. It's pleasant. There is zero hesitancy on pulling the trigger on a twenty two. There, I mean, you're not worried about any type of recoil. You're not worried about the noise. Even, I mean. When you suppress a twenty two, it's non-existent. The sound is non-existent. Even with, with it just allowed without a can, it's still not bad. Yes, you want to wear ears, but it's not it's not beating your brains in, even on the indoor range. Yeah. So you can get out there, you can get the reps in. Lots of the twenty twos, like the trainers, will come as a one to one size of a of the duty pistol. I know um, FN just had theirs come out and it was like a one to one of their uh, forty five tactical, but it's the twenty two version. It's a five oh nine. Yeah, five oh nine T um for trainer. Um but yeah, I mean, you can get those. It gives you that that manual of arms, gives you the muscle memory and pleasant to shoot. And then you can go back out and practice with your nine mil, you know, when you get, when you feel more comfortable with it, or you actually get the time to, because sometimes mm-hmm. you can go out, depending on where you live, you can just go and practice in your backyard with a 22. It's not that bad. Now you start letting off 40, nine millimeter, 45, your neighbors might have something to say, you know, they might be giving you a call. It's so interesting to see how things have changed so much over the years when it comes to not only the defensive cartridges that civilians choose, but the military as well, right? So Mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about law enforcement, and it's actually a very interesting story um, how the 40 Smith & Wesson even came to be in the first place, Yeah, right? Isn't that the... uh, Um, Some of the smaller statured FBI, mm -hmm. uh, you know, agents and and people like that, they they couldn't qualify with 10 millimeters. They were running the full bore 10s, 
And some of the smaller statured folks or people that just weren't quite as experienced at gun handling were having a hard time qualifying with it. So they made this 40 Smith & Wesson as a kind of a compromise in power to kind of help reduce a little bit of the recoil, make the ammo lighter, hopefully make the guns a bit lighter, make them kick a little bit less mm-hmm. so that law enforcement agencies and civilians alike would have a 10 bore or let's just say a 40 Smith & Smith and Wesson could be uh, four, uh, 10 millimeters short and wimpy. Yeah. It's kind of what we say. So it's interesting to see they go from 10 millimeter mm-hmm. to 40 Smith and Wesson and all the way back to the nine millimeter that we've had all along. <laughs> well, and that just, that just speaks to the, the, you know, innovations in powders and metallurgy that you're able to get that same performance out of a smaller diameter bullet without having to go up and, cause I mean, that's like the old 45 long Colt or the Magnum cartridges that used to be the thing because they didn't have the knowledge and all that. So they just increased the cartridge size, um, to get this, to get a more powerful round versus now we have much more expansive powders. They're faster, hotter. It's just, we've come full circle. You know, it is crazy too. I mean, when you look at people like Elmer Keith, so back in the day, Elmer Keith was taking 44 special revolvers and he was ponying them out to the gills. I'm talking, mm-hmm. he would try to cram every little bit of extra powder in there and he would try to get the maximum amount of performance out of a 44 special that he possibly could. And he blew up a few guns doing it. I believe it. So Smith and Wesson finally was like, look, we need to make a gun strong enough for Elmer. So that's how the 44 Magnum came about mm-hmm. because of people pushing the envelope and trying to get that extra bit of power and that extra performance. Now, Elmer Keith obviously was a legend in his time and, and is till this day. I mean, the, he was a great pistol marksman. Uh, awesome. I mean, just such an amazing outdoorsman. Uh, we could go into a lot of detail about Elmer Keith and his life, but to say that the civilian world equally pushes the the development of cartridges and everything and the development of the way we approach carry guns and and hunting yeah. uh, pistols like you know you've got this performance center uh 44 magnum here so oh, I love it you know Elmer Keith would have probably been very excited to have something like that back then now Hell, I'm excited about that man <laughs> <laughs> as needs change so does the technology to help you know, take care of those needs. I mean, innovation, right, is what fuels or necessity fuels innovation, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. Um, so you see that even on the rifles. He needed a gun that could handle what he was trying to do. He knew what he was trying to do. And it, the gun didn't exist yet. Yeah. Well, it's the next obvious step for when that technology doesn't exist is to make it bigger. So you saw that with the 300 Winchester Magnum. You saw that with the 338 Lapua Magnum. Like you want that little bit of extra performance out of it instead of going wider you go longer and you inch out some more performance and that Mm -hmm. you know i mean i haven't seen it on handgun ammo since you know the revolvers i mean because just because of the magazines the way they're set up you're not going to be like oh nine millimeter magnum you know it's like it doesn't it won't fit like well hornady released their superformance powders mm -hmm. and uh hornady also came up with a projectile um, their FTX projectile that has yes. that flex tip. Yep, yep. So there for a long time, the issue with like, for instance, like a lever action rifle, you can't put a Spitzer bullet in a lever action. Oh yeah, because the recoil forces, can, all those cartridges day. being uh, stacked up on each other, that could be disastrous. It'd be full auto. Oh, <laughs> that would be bad. Yeah, the, the, those cartridges detonated in that tube, it'd be a very bad day. 
So it was smart on Hornady to develop that flex tip so yep. that you could still get a spitzer-shaped bullet and get mm-hmm. better ballistic coefficient and better long-range performance and, and less bullet drop. So there's lots of things like that where these innovations are just um, fueled by these you know necessities that shooters come up with, and they want that little bit of extra range, that little bit of extra power. And um, the propellants are a huge proponent of that, right? Like, there's been a lot of advancements in propellant technology, like the superformance powders and um, and things like that. Uh, what was it? The two two three BFR. There was a few other powders that were developed around that same time that they can really, you know, get that performance level up where you want it. And what I find odd, right? Look at the six millimeter arc. Mm, so you yes. could get into the caliber debate of like five five six versus six five Grendel versus six millimeter arc, right? And you compare those things. And when you go back and look at the, you know, these small bore rifle cartridges, especially in a military environment, right? Look at look back all the way to Vietnam where soldiers were going, oh, there's no way this little small bore bullet's going to hurt anyone. Because, you know, you're walking around with an M14 in 7.62 by 51, you're like, you know, this is, I mean, you see yeah. the bullets bigger, you're like, well, man, this is, this is awesome. Full, full auto. <laughs> yeah. So, and then when someone hands you a plastic rifle that shoots a little high power 22, you're thinking, mm-hmm. well, what is this crap? This ain't going to hurt nobody. But it's the perception that because it's smaller, that it's somehow not as good as as the other cartridge. Yeah. Well, they learned the hard way that that is a very capable cartridge. The weapon system had some quirks that they had to work out, but the actual cartridge fared very well, you know, in that environment. I think it, it got the job done for sure. And I think it, it sort of, you know, without getting too much on this particular tangent, I think it also allowed the soldier to carry more ammunition, oh, the ammo sure. was lighter, for sure. I mean, less recoil, so in full auto, you can control I mean, it easier. Think about how many rounds we carried when we were overseas, man. Standard combat load, 360, 380 rounds. And I mean, imagine trying to do that with even 7.62 by, uh, what was it? No, I, w- I mean, we carried the 7.62 by 54s, and I mean, just belted, that thing's a, it's a beast, man. Then try, imagine trying to carry 7.62 by 39, 400 rounds of that. Get out, Yeah, man. and those mags are kind of, you know, the well, curved they're, they're mags wonky, are a little man. bit kind like, of a weird shape. Yeah. You know, so the point I was trying to make, though, when I when I mentioned mm-hmm. that, like the, inc- the increased uh, technology when it comes to, like, projectile designs and propellants and things like that, is you look at that six millimeter arc, and that is one awesome bullet. Like, it, it really does some awesome things, right? And you think, well, six millimeter, what the heck is this crap? You look back at the Lee Navy... That was issued by the United States Navy. Mm-hmm. We had a six millimeter uh, rifle back in the 1800s. Uh, 18 what? It was issued around like the late 18, 1899 or so, mm-hmm. or something like that. So like right around the turn of the century, we almost had the the perfect the, the concept. Yeah. We we sort of had the concept going, but I think again the perception. Right. Was that, oh, this little bullet ain't going to hurt nothing. I mean, you got to think the people were coming off of, you know, big bore black powder stuff. And, you know, obviously, I mean, how could that little pill do anything that this big one won't do? Mm -hmm. They're shooting like 64 caliber balls and stuff. So they're used to seeing these monster projectiles versus little six millimeter. That's right. (laughs) So they had the right idea. It's just the implementation. It just took a little while for it to come full circle. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at six millimeter Creedmoor and look at six millimeter Arc. I mean, those obviously, those cartridges realize the full potential of their action lengths 
and they have great downrange performance, mm-hmm. good ballistic coefficients on the projectiles. The powders obviously are excellent. So really good performance. You're getting great velocity with, you know, a minimal amount of pressure, you know, to try to keep those pressure curves under control, mm-hmm. right? That tends to be the issue when you're loading something really hot in a hand loading situation. Sure, you can get that bit of extra velocity, but when you reach those pressure nodes that can be a little bit spotty or mm-hmm. dangerous, then you start to have, you know, sticky extraction, you have cratering primers, you know, you have really uh, bad wear on the brass and stuff. So yeah. there's those sort of accuracy nodes you have to find. And I feel like six millimeter as a projectile choice, especially in an auto loader like a six millimeter arc or in an auto loader like six mil Creed, how cool would that be? Yeah. An AR-10 chambered in six millimeter Creed or a SCAR chambered in six millimeter Creed. Now you're talking. That standoff distance now is so much further. It makes 308 look like. Yeah. I mean, there was so much time went by in my life that I thought, man, there's nothing that beats a 308. Good old 308. I mean, I love a know? 30 cal auto loader and like, man, that I can shoot 800 yards. Man, look at me. And then someone gets out there with a 6.5 Creed or a 6 millimeter Creed and you're like, wow, like well, that 308 ain't so hot anymore. Well, 308 at 800 is the. That's like pretty much the farthest you want to hit something. Like it's not really that good after that. But six five, it's kind of just like it's just scratching the surface. I mean, so you're talking about one that has really hit the pinnacle or the peak of where it's at mm-hmm. versus one that is like hasn't even like it's on the way to the peak. It's like the roller coaster going up. It hasn't even hit the peak and coming down yet. So Well, you know what's crazy about that too, Matt, is that so <laughs> There was a guy I noticed that had taken a 26-inch barrel on a Remington 700, <laughs> and he used a Lapua 155-grain um, CNR and worked up a pretty pretty smoking little load for that thing. And yeah, he's hitting steel at 1,000, 1,050, maybe 11 on a good day if the wind's not too crazy. I mean, it's like a guy with a 6 mil Creed, that's nothing. 1,100 is 6.5 six, Creed more, 6 millimeter Creed more. Those shots are, are not difficult. You know, mm-hmm. so it just goes to show there's just how much those things uh, tend to kind of come into play. Well, you know? I was really impressed last time we were down at uh at the deer camp and Chad brought out the six five and we put that piece of steel out at what well, that was almost nine hundred. It was like eight eight fifty. It was just under nine hundred yeah, yards. Just under nine hundred and guys, that's not my rifle. Chad said, Hey, take a couple shots and that I had never hit something that far. The farthest I had shot was about between 700, 750. And that was a DMR school. That was the, that's the farthest. And this, trust me, guys, it's nothing special. DMR school is basically a, more of a familiarization so that you hit stuff out to the target. And that's really about it. But to sit there and I took one shot and I was a little off. He gave me the correction and two shots. I hit steel at right under 900. That to me and a six five Creedmoor, that's unheard of for me. Like that really, really blew me away, man. I was like, holy crap, this round is is next level. Oh, that next. rifle, um, that's a Begara B14. I mean, that was next level shooting, like to come out of that with two rounds on at, at oh, like right under nine hundred. I was like, what? Isn't that a cool gun? It is amazing. So I know we got into rifles a little bit. Yep. Um, Sorry, we kind of squirreled no, out on that's, that one. No, <laughs> that's quite all right, because I, th- I think in terms of the the pistol round debate that we sort of got into in terms of defensive calibers, I mm-hmm. think we made that case pretty well. 
Um, right. Let's segue back to that for just a moment, yeah, yeah, absolutely. and then we'll we'll sort of uh, polish off the the rifle debate. But on the pistol calibers, I think the main takeaway is shoot what you're comfortable shooting, uh, shoot what you can afford to buy, shoot what is available for you, um, shoot what works uh, in a gun that you choose to use. I mean, all of those things obviously are pretty cut and dry, right? You know, just choose something that makes you happy and don't really worry about it. I mean, with the availability of lots of good carry ammo out for a wide variety of different cartridges, right? Um, there's no reason to not find something that's going to suit your needs. Shot placement will always be king. Um, there is a lot of uh, conjecture. It gets thrown around about which one's better, and some people are always going to have their favorites, and, and that's cool. I'm a 9 mil kind of guy. I carry 9 mil on a regular basis, and for my needs, um, 124 grain plus PHST, uh, tends to be one of my preferred carry loads and also like the Hornady critical defense as well. And the critical duties, critical I mean, those, D. God, they yeah. work so well, right? Let's expand on that real quick. Cause we do have a little bit of time. So sure. if we're talking, you know, and, and you know, for everybody, I carry a nine mil myself, but I think what goes into that is you, you have your preferred caliber, but once you get comfortable with that, you can try other calibers and you might fall in love with another caliber. There's there's nothing wrong with changing calibers. You're not married to that one caliber and things change, missions change and mission being like, you know, your mindset, not an actual mission, but your mission in life, like, you know, your surroundings change. Um, but as far as defensive ammo goes, like critical defense, spear, gold dot, like all of those are, def- are you know, defensive ammo, but you have differences between them some perform better than others um i i I use critical defense and i use the gold dot spear gold dot both of those are our top tier you know defense ammos but why eric why would you use those well so some of them perform different in certain situations as you said and primarily what you get into is the barrier blindness potential of these rounds right some do a little bit better in automotive glass the hornady rounds tend to do a little bit better in automotive glass in our testing so if that is a consideration for you, then that might be something to think about. Yep. Some do a little bit better in drywall. Some of them universally do a little bit better in, in all. I've noticed the HSTs in drywall, uh, sometimes they don't expand quite so well when they get through the other side of the drywall. But if you're not planning on shooting through drywall, that's probably not something you need to worry about. Uh, the Spear Gold Dot performs pretty well across the board on all of the different types of barriers. The most important barrier are in the FBI test when you get into the uh, clothing, right? So I don't want to uh, be at risk of getting this wrong, but I believe it's two layers of flannel or fleece, uh, two layers of cloth, and like a layer of denim yeah, or denim. two layers of denim or something. So it's a specific protocol for how they do the ballistic shell testing, and we've performed a ton of FBI spec ballistic shell tests with various carry rounds and everything like that. And what you're trying to show is when that projectile goes through the clothing items and into the gel, okay, is that hollow point on that defensive projectile going to get clogged up and fail to expand? All right, now if it fails to expand, does that mean it's still not going to hurt you? Of course it's still going to hurt someone. But it's going to probably have more of a wound pattern like a ball round would if it fails to expand. Now there's been a whole bunch of different projectile designs that have come out over the last 10 years Um, that try to circumvent these things, right? Like the Federal Guard Dog. I don't know if you've seen that particular load, but it expands um, like a hollow point, but it looks like a ball round. So it has this segmented jacket that sort of just smushes. 
So no matter what it hits, it can't help but just get larger. And it's got its place. We've done some uh, tests on the guard dog and does quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I still prefer the HST uh, to the guard dog, but it, it's a cool round mm-hmm. and it tries to si- sort of circumvent uh, some of those barrier issues that people run into. The one thing that I noticed was with the uh, with the critical defense was they put that little rubber stopper inside of the actual hollow point to keep it from getting uh, clogged up with foreign material like flannel or denim. So that is, I think, to my knowledge, they're the only round that does that. Um, so when that round hits you, that has a better chance of expansion. It's not going to get clogged up with all of this foreign material going before it goes into your body. So I thought that was pretty unique um, in the fact that you know they thought about that. Yep. So when we look at the debate of pistol calibers for self-defense, I mean, don't get too wrapped up in it. I mean, you can look at some of the performance numbers, but I think if you're just going to generically compare performance data and velocities and 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 um, foot pounds of energy and things like that, just the basic numbers of what these um, different cartridges are doing intrinsically across the board, I think it's also an important thing to factor into your equation: the projectile design, the propellants, and uh, you know what those are doing in FBI protocol tests and in barrier blindness testing. And there's probably lots of good data out there. I mean, we've done some videos on it if you want to look at them. Some of the videos are a little bit older, but the science should still be pretty valid compared to what's out there. We probably do need to revisit some of the newer things, and that's probably something we can do in a future video on over on Iraq Veteran. But I digress. That That's another story for another day. But always factor in the projectile design into your defensive um, you know, protocol in terms of what you're trying to accomplish with a pistol. Also, there's some really interesting solids out there, too, like the Lehigh uh, projectiles and some of the underwood loadings that use the Lehigh projectiles. They use their um, critical defense and critical uh, maximum expansion and all of the different types of projectiles that are more of a solid. Uh, I think they have one called the... Um, Oh, what do they call that? The Max, uh, no, the, oh boy, um, uh, I forget no the name of it, but it, but it has, they, they almost look like screwdriver keys on the end of the projectile, hmm. right? The uh, Control Chaos, and they've got the Control, the, the control Defense, I've, I forget the exact names of the projectiles, I, I digress on that, but look them up. The Lehigh offerings are really neat. That because on they, impacts. Yeah, know, so like there's, there's a lot of interesting projectiles. Yeah, the Fort Scott TUIs, yeah. those are kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Then you get into some of the kind of things like the um, the rip rounds, yeah. which uh, I'm not sure I'm sold on those quite yeah. so much. But it is cool that there are cutting-edge projectile designs that are coming out all the time. And I think Lehigh, in my opinion as a company, they really did do a great job of – really making people change their overall thought process of how they think about defensive pistol cartridges. And I, they've I, done a great job. I a hundred percent agree. I would, I would, my, my leaving thought when we're segueing off of, you know, handgun up. ammo would just be, it doesn't matter what you shoot. You shoot whatever caliber that makes you feel comfortable to your heart's content. I will tell you this, make sure you're shooting high quality ammunition specifically made for the purpose so if it's for defense use defensive ammunition good quality defensive ammunition don't try to use ball ammo for defense in a defensive situation it's it'll cause a lot more problems than uh with pass through and stuff like that you don't really want that you want fragmentation you want expansion um 
So yeah, buy high quality ammunition. Stay away from the Winchester steel case that you saw in Cabela's for the Black Friday. You don't want that. That's a no-go. Lehigh Defense, um, the projectiles that I was thinking of were the Extreme Cavitator, the Extreme Defense, mm-hmm. and yes. the Extreme Penetrator. We have done detailed testing on all of those projectiles. Uh, their newest one, which I believe is the Extreme Cavitator. Let me pull this projectile up and look. Yeah, so we've that's the one that looks like a screwdriver key. We have, de- man. We, have we have done um, some detailed testing on the Extreme um, Cavitator. And, you know, their projectiles are great. Check them out. Um, definitely worth they looking into. They do good into. work, man. They do good work. Now, on the rifle end, there's also been a lot of really, really great um, advancements in technology for not only propellants, but also projectile designs. Mm-hmm. Now, this could also be a, a very long talk. We are getting somewhat near needing to wrap up here in a moment, but um, we could just sort of segue into the fact that defensive posturing in terms of protecting yourself with a firearm doesn't just mean uh, using a pistol anymore, right? Like many more people have um, taken into heart uh, the need of having a a good solid AR or shotgun in their vehicle as a road gun. Um, Chad and I just got done doing a whole episode on um, road guns and some of the things to consider. And in fact, I think our next podcast, we're going to be discussing uh, making sure that you have a really good level of readiness while you're traveling out on the road. We won't get into that on this podcast, but we'll just say that just like the handgun world, the rifle and shotgun world has also seen some really great um, technology advancements in the projectiles, designs, the propellants, and just the overall um, availability of defensive cartridges for rifles and uh, shotguns. Absolutely. And I would say the number one uh advancement would be again powder it's allowing them to get much cleaner burn and full velocity out of a shorter barrel the only thing hindering that to make a really really compact rifle would be uh the that you have to sbr a rifle if it was a little bit easier or more common knowledge on everybody to be able to do that um i mean it would be very normal to see 10 and a half inch um ARs because with the advancements in uh, technology, you're able, you're still able to achieve similar uh, velocities out of a shorter barrel. And why is that important? That's important because you don't really want to be going through your house with a 20 inch AR. You would like to have a smaller package, but still carry that oomph to be able to take them out with a rifle or take them out. Maybe the wrong word, maybe serve justice um because i mean i told you when i had to go through my house eric with my pistol halfway downstairs i realized i should have grabbed my rifle but i didn't my instinct was my my handgun is next to my bed so that's what i grabbed so it it, it allots you more control when you have a long gun it allots you and and it, it just it's easier to aim you have longer sight radiuses it just overall for me i would have felt more comfortable in that situation with my rifle. Yeah. And I I think that, you know, without getting too much on this subject, that is a scary thing to have to contend with, right? Like Mm -hmm. having to go through your home and, and, you know, you heard a bump in the night and you have to go investigate something that, that can be a scary, scary moment that none of us want to have to deal with that situation. We don't have to, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting to the, to the rifle uh, projectile designs a little bit. I'll just discuss a few of the newest ones that I've seen. Um, One is a new one from Remington uh, called their, 
AccuTip, and it is basically a tipped uh, core locked. Okay. Core locked. So so it is a bonded. Yeah. Core it, it is a high performance core lock that has a flexible tip. Mm-hmm. So getting into that type of scenario. Also, Sierra just released a projectile. Um, I want to say it's only been out maybe a year and a half or so. Uh, they call it their Game Changer. So they previously <laughs> had a projectile called the Game King, and they also have their famous Match King. Yep. The Game Changer is sort of a hodgepodge of those two bullets. So it's a match bullet that can also serve as a hunting bullet. Ah. So we start to run into these situations where they're they're integrating the match capabilities of these projectiles in terms of like good BCs and boat mm-hmm. tails and long bearing surfaces. Yeah, and unique a very unique shape of ogive. It gives a great ballistic coefficient, but also in an expanding bullet. Mm-hmm. So the projectile designs on rifle cartridges have come a long way and they're they're always just going through awesome stuff. I mean, getting back to the Lehigh's, right? Their maximum expansion, it has an expansion uh, threshold velocity that you can even even in 300 blackout. You're talking the MEs those things will open up like crazy, even at subsonic yeah, velocity. I've seen some of them. They just open up. You're just like, is that real? Yeah, it looks like, like a flower petal. Yeah, it looks you know, like you just up. peeled it back like an onion. I'm like, that's yeah, inside so someone's body. So for small game or yeah. for suppressed hunting, um, there's so many cool things and so many changes that have been made. So mm-hmm. again, I guess to put it to bed, now what would be the best rifle cartridge for someone to consider? Well, very much in the same way that we discussed the differences in some of the power levels of some of these different uh, pistol cartridges, you could also obviously make the same argument for rifle cartridges and then choose accordingly from there. I think arguably, though, most people tend to flock to a good solid AR with a you know 62 to 75 grain bullet mm-hmm. of your choosing. Yeah, hunting Even with a ball. buster, huh? <laughs> I mean, I, I hunt coyotes with ball. Yeah. I mean, and that and that's okay because you're not really too concer- concerned about over penetration at that point. That's kind of you know it's okay, but you most certainly don't want to shoot ball inside your house. If you if you're fortunate enough, you know, to have a, a home defense AR, so one that stays in the closet or stays in the safe, where that's your home defense go to. I highly recommend getting some frangible ammo. That way you're not worried about, you know, any type of issues with your neighbors or your kids or your like over penetration. If again, if you're fortunate enough to be able to have that set up, that's probably what you want to do. Uh, but if you just have like an all in one, I probably would go with like a 62 grain hollow mm-hmm. point if possible. I mean, I've I've shot a lot of hogs with 62 grain ball ammo, mm-hmm. and it performs quite well with good shot placement. Yep. I've shot a lot of coyotes with 62 grain ball ammo out of a out of an AR, and it works quite well. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that the AR, just as a defensive tool, as a rifle, um, is very very hard to beat for many people. And there's a reason why so many folks own ARs because it's a great defensive tool, and they can be you know gotten uh, at a very affordable rate. Uh, not to leave shotguns completely out of the mix. I know we don't have a lot of time on today's podcast, but I just want to quickly uh, mention shotguns a little bit. Shotguns are great for home defense. Um, we've talked about it in numerous videos on the YouTube channel and even on this podcast. We've discussed shotguns in some pretty decent length in terms of their tactical applications and uh, you know just how we feel about them and some of our favorite designs. So I won't really go over that uh, because some of those are in you know those. Those views are in some of our other podcasts, but just related to the caliber debate, um, the shotgun might be one of the (laughs) instances 
where I have to say that 12 bore pretty much is the standard across the board for yeah. just about everybody. Yep. That's I mean, one thing agree. people don't really argue yeah, about. Yeah, there is no, I mean, there is, I mean, that's the standard. I mean, you have yeah. the most options with different types of shot. I mean, that's really the name of the game with the shotgun. You're not buying a shotgun because of the actual bore. You're buying it for the utility. So you're buying, buy it. Well, why not buy this, the gauge that allots you the most utility? Yes. Which would be 12 gauge. Yep. So in, in the world of shotguns, there's not really much argument there. I mean, there are some defensive 10-gauge loads, but it's a lot of recoil. And the amount of guns chambered in 10-gauge 10, 10 probably going to leave you a little bit wanting. 12-gauge mm-hmm. is the standard, um, both military, law enforcement, civilian. I don't think many people are going to argue there that 12-gauge is hard to beat for mm-hmm. um, its variety. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different buckshot rounds, you slug exotic rounds. exotic rounds. I mean, you yeah. got the, the bolo rounds, the dragon spread. <laughs> I mean, imagine doing that in someone in your house. Like, <laughs> like well, we're going to catch the house on fire. But, Call you know. the fire department. <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing. So, so 12-gauge oh. might be probably the one redheaded stepchild of the group that yeah. you can't really deny um, I'm like laughing because the effectiveness fight. of a 12 gauge i mean 12 gauge if it says 12 on it chances are whatever's coming out whatever's on the other end is going to have a very unpleasant day oh yeah for so, sure um and you plus know, i mean you have the i mean just the sound man you know just at the top of the stairs a, you know that's <laughs> proven it's a proven thing you know it works that's right joking Joke. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 they shouldn't hear it rap. Yeah. It should be ready. But <laughs> that's right. The, the point is, though, I, I, in this podcast, we really wanted to, you know, get into this caliber debate a little bit and, and sort of get the juices flowing. Cause I know we'd have a lot of new gun owners out there and we wanted to provide a little bit of kind of a basis or some criteria, if you will, to give someone an idea of what we're looking at when we assess the effectiveness of a carry round of a rifle round, um, of a shotgun round, right? So there are ballistics numbers we can kind of approach, right? Like the way that we compared the twenty two to some of the other, you know, defensive calibers and pistol rounds and things like that. Um, so that, yeah, those are your criteria you can kind of look at. You know, what kind of recoil energy do they develop? Can you shoot them accurately? The guns that you're looking at, are they chambered in these cartridges? Is it something you can get? Um, can you afford to shoot it on a regular basis and afford to train with it? You know, all of these things come into play. Do they offer good projectile designs that are barrier blind and that do well in the types of barriers that you think you might be experiencing in your defensive situation? All of these things come into play. And I hope that we maybe had a little bit of food for thought and we planted that seed in your mind, especially for, for our new gun owners that That's might right. not uh, you know, know about this stuff. So maybe now you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I thought I thought it was a very good conversation. It had a lot of information for the the new gun owners or that maybe those that are looking for that confirmation bias. So yeah, or a refresher. Yeah, you know? a refresher, but really it's just guys that want that want that confirmation of like, okay, I'm not weird for wanting 40 or 45 or 9 mil cuz I mean, it's just shoot what you got, man. That's right. You know? At the end of the day, boys and girls, run what you've got and be proficient with what you've got. And you'll you'll be okay. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you shoot, but as long as you, what you're shooting, you're comfortable with and you're accurate with and you're capable and you actually carry your gun on that, a regular that's basis. That's huge, yeah. Um, you're you're going to come out ahead in, in life uh, in that regard. I mean, 
don't get too wrapped up in all of the uh, pissing match of what caliber is better than the other one. Just choose something, get proficient, make sure you can buy it, have fun with it, and life will go on. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's podcast. (laughs) I really enjoyed it. We have many more on the way. I hope you all have a great week. And I really appreciate y'all tuning in for today's LOP episode. Matt and I will see you next week. We will be here with Bells On. Make sure you leave us a great glowing review on all of the different podcast servers. And also here on the YouTube channel, make sure you like, subscribe, share our videos, uh, drop a comment down below. Let us know. What what would you like to see in a podcast? We'll be happy to check out your uh, suggestions, and maybe we'll do a podcast on a, a subject that you choose. So That's right. We take requests. Want. That's right. <laughs> Have a good week, and Matt, I'll see you next week. See you later. Actually, I see you now. Well, they'll see us. They'll see me seeing you next week. But anyway. That's right. <laughs> I see you now, but they'll see you and me next week. See you. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.